This episode contains graphic accounts of domestic and sexual violence, violence against women in particular, and language that is not suitable for listeners under 18 years of age. We also discuss coercive control, so please use caution when listening. And, you know, we sat and talked, you know, everything was good, and yeah, something in his little brain flipped after we left, because we were already back to my house. You know, he was dropping me off, and yeah, it something triggered, and he straight up bit me on my bit me on my cheek, completely out of nowhere. I mean, when I say like you flip on a light switch, that's exactly what it was. But I, you know, and I don't, I really don't remember what happened other than we were talking, and the next thing I knew, I thought he was grabbing me to kiss me. And he grabbed me and bit my face. I have never had anyone, like, nibble my face. This was straight up, I, I had teeth marks in the brick. You know, somebody was like, you need to call the cops. And I'm like, what for? What are they going to do? Oh, you went out with this guy one time and he bit you. Don't go out with him again. So when you start seeing red flags, acknowledge them and let it go before you really get hurt. It's, it's too good to be true. It probably is too good to be true. Have you ever been in a relationship that seemed to be going so well, and then out of the blue, your partner says or does something that goes up like a flare in your mind? Was that a red flag? Does that mean I need to leave? Is that the last straw? Maybe it's just a bad day. When you are in a relationship with an abusive person, the red flags come in many forms and those behaviors are deployed for different purposes. There are a million books and research papers on abuse and why people are abusive. The most recent research concludes that abuse is about control. And there are a lot of different tactics to get control over someone. Some of these tactics are minor and almost undetectable. Others are violent and scary. On last week's episode, we showed you what it was like to fall in love with Jim Lumen. This week, we show you what happens when that love turns toxic. This is Panic Button, Operation Wildfire, and you're listening to Episode 5, Bloody Red Flags. I'm Colleen McCarty. And I'm Leslie Briggs. If you're just getting started with us, we recommend you go back and start listening from Episode 1. For ease of listening, and also for anyone listening who might be living with these behaviors at home and who hasn't been able to put words to your experience, We've categorized the types of red flags in this episode by the types of behavior Jim exhibits with his victims. The types of red flags are low empathy, dishonesty, coercive control, sexual violence, and physical violence. We'll start with low empathy red flags. Typically, people like Jim, who are chronic abusers, have very low empathy for other people. Empathy is defined as the ability to understand and share the feelings of someone else. Having low empathy is not necessarily against the law, and it isn't a basis for saying someone was abusive. However, it is an indication that someone might be abusive or can be used to explain abuse after the fact. Nathan, I could tell, you know, he kind of disconnected from me a little bit. I figured he's probably texting Amber again or whoever else. And he tells me um, it's just best that he goes or whatever. And I was like, okay, all right. You know, we hugged. And he got all of his things, and I thought, like, he had Amber come get him. No, he stole my truck. 
yeah, he just took off in my truck. And so I call, he doesn't answer. I think I text and, you know, he like tells me like, doesn't care, fuck off or whatever he tells me, you know, and I, I like have a pretty good idea like where he is. And um, so I call the police and the police tell me since I know the person who has the vehicle that it's not stolen, that there's nothing I could do criminally that it would be a civil issue. So I decided I would go get my truck and I took my pistol and my daughter and we went to the trailer park over at Amber's and the keys were in it and um, he was asleep inside, I guess, or whatever. So without incident, I took my truck back. He's married to Amber the whole, kind of the whole time you guys are seeing one another. Yeah. I was trying to remember when I met him at Torchies, it was for like a divorce party, but I think it was his divorce from Misty. If the timeline matches up. And then he tells me, like, we're dating, and he tells me that he's got to be with Amber because, it, you know, it's divorce and it makes it look better that he has someone um, instead of being alone. And yeah, he, he tells me that's why he's marrying her or whatever. Um, and, but he, and, and the whole time, you know, she's aware that I'm in the picture too. Um, he tells her that we're just friends. Um, and then I, I noticed, I remember seeing her headstone and thinking, and, and I remember it sticking out because he said she was a crazy bitch. And, and I remember thinking, well, he's already said Amber was a crazy bitch. He said Misty was a crazy bitch. So that's weird. You know, why is he calling his dead sister a crazy bitch? And, um, I, I just, I remember the back of her headstone it was pretty much like, sorry, I was so crazy. I mean, I don't remember exactly the words it said. It was some, something poetic. But it was pretty much, I felt like it was just sealing the deal that she was crazy for some reason. Like, I don't know. Anyway, so he took me to her house that she used to live in, where his brother-in-law and his nieces still lived. They were not home. So we went in by ourselves, where he told me to play her piano. And he, I was like, it's kind of weird. Um, he was like, no, just sit down, just play your piano for me. And I was like, okay. So I sit down and I played uh, November, Ro November Rain by Guns N' Roses. And he stared at me the whole time. And then we went to Boston Pool Road again, went around a few more times and it was getting dark and I was really sad because I wanted to make, catch my mom's bedtime because, you know, she had a bedtime. She was on hospice at the time. And he was really weird about like controlling my time. He wouldn't, he wouldn't stop. He wanted to go around one more time, one more time. And I'm like, but I want to see my mom. And sure enough, when we got to my mom's, my mom was asleep in her bed in the living room. And Jim Lumen walked up to my mom who was laying there asleep. And he kissed her forehead. The next group of stories illustrates that Jim is generally dishonest. Some of these have to do with infidelity or cheating. Now, we know that there are folks out there who might be in an open relationship or a non-monogamous relationship, and that's not what we're talking about with this. What we're talking about is the way in which Jim will pit women against one another or use other relationships to make someone jealous. It's a classic abusive tactic. 
the first conversation I ever had with his girlfriend, Kristen, I, I, I had been on a first date with him um, and we got back from our first date and his girlfriend at the time, which I did not know she existed. I just found out that he had a girlfriend. Um, well, she was saying that she was his girlfriend and she was asking me about my pumpkins and, um, and she said, well, my boyfriend, Jimmy, um, likes your pumpkins. And I was like, uh, he's my boyfriend lady. And she's like, well, I'm going to block you. And then we stopped being friends for a while. Sometimes the dishonesty can be about something small, like lying about where you got your couch. There was a lot of little like fights trying to make me jealous with certain things. And it was, it was interesting to me because when I first went to his place, I didn't think anything of it, but he would make comments like well, the couch that was in his living room. He's like, well, that was here when I moved in. Like, they couldn't move it out. That's why I have that couch. Um, his bed was an air mattress. He didn't have a real bed. Like he had no real possessions. The first time I ever went up to his apartment and met the kids, I went up to help him set up a bunk bed for the kids, which come to find out, um, Shannon Summers from Oklahoma had driven up and bought with him and then ended up driving home. It's so twisted and tumultuous. Or lying about creating something that you clearly didn't create. I found out later on he was taking pictures of my pumpkins and telling women that he was carving them. Sometimes lying could seem like it's supposed to be a joke. So Leroy called me to tell me, and oh my God, this struck a nerve with me. Like, I don't know why, like all of a sudden I'm just so mad that there's one more girl in this, like, picture, I guess. I get in my car and drive right over. And by this time, she's gone. Jim's passed out upstairs and the door's unlocked. I don't bother knocking. I'm like in some kind of autopilot craziness. And I go straight upstairs and there's a dildo on the floor that I step over. And what I'm there for is a t-shirt that I, well, is a blouse that I had hung in this closet. And it, that blouse was not going to hang in that closet while another girl was in that house. That was like all that mattered to me is I needed that blouse. So I go up the stairs and get step over his dildo and he opens his eyes about this time to see me in his room and he's like what what are you doing I said nice dildo and I grabbed my shirt and he was like hell what did he say could have been using that on Leroy or something like because he knew then that I knew he had a girl over so he's trying to say it's like him and Leroy then there's big lying like Creating fake people online. Remember Vicky Brochan, Jim's personal assistant from the last episode? Vicky Brochan, um, well, she's no longer with us. Um, we, she's dead now. Um, Vicky Brochan is actually does not exist and never did exist. She was a, um, he had a picture of a mail order Russian bride um, that he used as her profile picture. He had a, maybe one or two other pictures of her that he used. And he she had a LinkedIn page with thousands of followers. And I'm talking on Vicky's birthday. She would get so many birthday greetings from all these men. And she'd just be like, thank you. Thank you. 
And turns out Vicky Brochan is Jim Lumen. Vicky Brochan was Jim Lumen posing to be a woman to make other women jealous of his beautiful assistant. Um, to he used her to triangulate. Um, to he on her Facebook page, there's proof of. Well, it's not proof. She's got posts. Well, she, sorry, I don't know. Vicky has posts of Jim taking her flying on his plane. She has posts of the of the Corvette that he bought her. She has posts of the little teacup chihuahua that he bought her, you know, because he loves me. And so I'm sure Amber was seeing those and being really jealous because... He didn't buy her a dog or a Corvette or an airplane. Anyway, um, Vicky Brushan was Jim Lemon. How did you guys find out that it was him? I found <laughs> I found out it was him because I learned it was Google started to allow that feature where you could search for images. So I searched for the Russian mail order bride uh, photo that he had as his profile picture. And it came up as um, Martina something. But then um, he had another LinkedIn page after Vicky died um, that was something Victoria Smithson. And he also used the same picture of Vicky Brochan from he used those same pictures as well. And um, so LinkedIn kind of took both of those down for us. Thank goodness. You guys reached out to LinkedIn and said? We did reach out to LinkedIn. And I actually, I had a couple of friends that were um, reaching out to him and saying, hey, this is kind of confusing. This girl looks like this girl, you know, just to kind of jab him. I, I had one of my piano movers would always uh, would always do his Kind of, kind of jab him a little bit. <laughs> Other big lying examples are saying you have a certification for a professional occupation. Yeah. So did he actually say to you, "I am a licensed attorney"? What? Okay. I don't know if he ever said those words to me, but I will tell you that he never corrected me. He, at one point, when we very first started talking. We were supposed to spend the weekend together and he had to cancel. He had to go back to Oklahoma. And the reason he gave me was because his niece had been picked up for fighting and he had to go defend her and get her out of jail. Um, when he was on the phone talking to clients, there was one incident in particular when we were in Omaha and he was laying on the bed naked and talking to a client. And I got off the, he got off the phone and I said, I wonder if she has any idea that her lawyer is laying on the bed naked talking to her and he just chuckled. So I don't know that he ever came out and said it. I know his plenty of fish profile used to say that his job was legal. Didn't say lawyer, but I was never corrected. I was never told, no, no, no. I'm just, just this or just that. He told me multiple times he doesn't, he didn't take the Iowa bar. I can't remember what the rationale for that was. 
for the record, Jim is not an attorney, has never been an attorney, has never been to law school, and has never taken a bar exam anywhere that we could find. He is not certified to practice law in any state. I just want to chime in and say that bar associations in the states where he's operating should care about the things that he's doing. Because we don't, in Oklahoma, we may have paralegals, but we actually don't have a requirement for a certification for a paralegal. You can go and you can get like an associate's and that can like help you get a job. But we don't have anybody overseeing those people other than the lawyers. And that leaves open this unregulated territory for someone like Jim to call himself a, quote, legal consultant and do whatever it is that he's doing in the personal injury game. You know, when I tried to call him recently to get his interview and his version of these events, this is what his voicemail says. I'm not really able to get to the phone right now, either with clients on the other line or possibly in court. If you will, please leave your name, number, and a message, and I'll return your call as soon as possible. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Hi, Jim. It's Leslie over at Oklahoma Appleseed. I was just trying to give you a follow-up to see if you had, um, you wanted to still kind of give us your side of the story. Uh, you can call me back anytime today. Um, I'll be, this is my direct line, so you can catch me here. Thank you. So I just want to say, I think that bar associations should care about regulating the non-lawyer legal space and take steps to ensure that People who are engaging in paralegal type activities or, quote, legal consulting type activities either have some kind of like certification requirement or an oversight requirement that can be tracked and controlled by the bar. Yes, because like this, like we've found as we researched all of this, this is sort of falls into a gray space. Like he's it's he could easily say he's not doing unauthorized practice of law. And I don't think other attorneys or judges or people affiliated with the Oklahoma Bar or the Iowa Bar would be comfortable with the gray space that this person is operating in, especially when they let people believe that they are a practicing attorney and don't correct that. Even more big lies would have to do with money. I was I was cashing the checks. Like, I was working the cases with him. I watched him on the phone with insurance companies. Like... I had no reason to think he wasn't. We were pulling in 30 grand a month. So I'm like, why would I even question that? Or whether or not you have a criminal history. So he had explained it away and his son had explained it away. And my understanding, and he'd even shown me a court document that he had told his ex-wife, Heather, to go fuck herself. And because of the word fuck, that put it into the spectrum of offense. And you spoke to his son about that as well? I believe, I believe he told me that it was because he had said that to Heather. How did, like, how did you get involved? Tell me about that conversation. Like, why did he tell you, like, hey, I'm going to have my son vouch for me? Like, you can talk to him about it? Or, like, how did that come about? I really don't remember if I had brought it up. I, I'm sure it was probably me saying something. But, you know, like I said, he would show me a court document that, that stated that's what it was. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I can overlook that because who doesn't say that? Or even how many people the abuser is seeing at once. 
But if you think about it, he's always probably got three of us. He talks about the triangulation. So he used to tell me all the time, I got a girl in Oklahoma, you're my Iowa girl, don't worry about it. There'll be a Missouri girl, you know, don't worry about it. Well, in my instance, there was me, there was Sarah, and Amber's still in the picture. Amber's always in the picture. Well, look, unless there are criminal implications to the lies, lying in and of itself isn't usually a crime. It's another indicator that you might be dealing with someone who is abusive. The next group of stories shows coercive control. Coercive control refers to a pattern of controlling behaviors that create an unequal power dynamic in a relationship. These behaviors give the perpetrator power over their partner, making it difficult for them to leave. So I think it's worth mentioning here that there's actually a recent movement in the United States to codify coercive control. And three states explicitly have it in statute. Actually, Oklahoma is one of the three states that has coercive control codified, but we only have it codified in the family law code, Mm -mm. which means it can be used against someone in a family law case, like a divorce or custody case. Mm. But it's not a criminal definition of coercive control. But there are 10 states that have a statute that mimics something that's very close to criminal to coercive control. So it's interesting because it's hard to define what coercive control is, but a lot of domestic violence and sexual assault groups across the country are working to make this actually a criminal offense. It's interesting. I want to play, can I do the devil's advocate thing? Yeah. Because it's like coercive control. I mean, we know that it's like this accumulation of behaviors that results in like the inability to act independent of your partner um, or, or free, like, you know, essentially robbing you of your free will. But like, at what point do you reach the critical mass? You know, I like, like I want my wife to like do the laundry. And so as us having an argument and her, then her deciding to do the laundry, is that me coercively controlling her? Well, let yeah. me just read to you how we describe it in Oklahoma. It is coercive control involving physical, sexual, psychological, emotional, economic, or financial abuse. So it has to meet one of those other abuses, and you're using that abuse or the threat of the abuse to control the person. Mm. Yeah. It's Actually, kind I- of a slippery slope if you ask me. It, I think it could be. I think it could be. Because, like, what behaviors? It's it's almost like um, pornography. You know, you know you know it when you see it. Yeah. But it's difficult to define. Yeah. And the thing about coercive control is it's really like an environment or a culture inside of a relationship. And it would take a lot of evidence to produce to show a culture or an environment exists. Yeah. That's tricky. You can't just show one act of what someone would call coercive control and say that you were being coercively controlled. I think it takes more than that. This is again, why the more that we look at these issues and the more we like come up with what we think are good policy, looking at other States and all of that, I keep coming back to this idea that like courts and and in particular um, criminal courts, and I guess family courts too are not, the appropriate, I mean, they are a last resort for solving these problems. We have got to find a better way as a society to intervene sooner. I think it starts with the police because they're the first responders to calls. 
I don't know what that looks like, but like intervening before we get to the point of like, we're expecting a criminal court or a family court to rule on custody or to put someone away in jail to solve this problem. Because it's like, we need to intervene when you are coercively controlling somebody about the fucking laundry or the dishes or not getting your dinner on time before you are punching them in the face. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but then like... I don't know. It's so hard. Like, what even is the intervention that we're asking people to do? Is it just, like, separate you? Yeah, no, I mean, toxic masculinity. Uh. Again. <laughs> it's like, stop being a toxically masculine person who can only, whose only emotion is anger. Yeah. I mean, that goes to such deep roots of, like, how we raise boys and how we don't allow boys to have feelings. And Yeah. So many things that I'm not qualified to comment on, frankly. Honestly, truly. We're going to have an experts episode this season. That's going to be really good. And I think some of those folks will have ideas about this. Same as these. Okay. Okay. Um, Force of control can be seemingly small. There there was only, I mean, the only problem that we had was there was a time that he wanted to go get some weed and I said, let me put some makeup on. And he got mad at me for wanting to put makeup on. And he ended up leaving without me. And got kind of crappy with me. And so he said, go milk that cow. And I was like, no, I'm not going to go milk that cow. And he took my phone from me and he said, go milk the cow. And so, like, you know, I grew up with a big sister and cousins that teased me. So I, it, it was making me laugh and I didn't, I don't mind people teasing me. And, and he, looking back, he was, it was the first time he took my phone from me and I, and I was forced to do something to get my phone back kind of thing. And that happened later on, but it was a lot more serious. I can remember one time we were going out of town and I said, I need to stop at Walgreens and get some makeup because I'm running low and I didn't grab it before I came to get you. So we'll just stop. And he's like, you don't need makeup. We're not stopping. I laughed. Like I didn't understand, you know? So just, it was this constant, just mind games, mind games, not allowed to talk to my family. He would tell me if I could go out and have a cigarette or not. One night the kids were there. We were playing this game where you take something out of the fridge and you eat a spoonful of it and it escalated to him wanting me to go out and put my tongue on the grill because it was sub-zero so that the girls could see what would happen when he did that and then when he got pissed at me because I wouldn't do it then that became a big deal after the kids went to bed they're just constant fights constant and I wouldn't say a word I shook up my mouth what are can you help us what are some things he would say like taking that the grill example like how does he turn that into a fight you know what i mean like can you tell me what he's saying or do you remember or is that something maybe that your brain is blocked out i would understand if, if so but yeah i remember that clear as day because that happened and i was in tears standing in the kitchen at the sink and he walked up behind me and got as close as he could like a sandwich grabbed a hold of me by the hips put his fucking mouth in my ear and he says, I don't know why you have to be such a fucking cunt all the time. 
this type of control can be used to make you leave places or interrupt plans. He was actually going through my phone. And I didn't know he was going through my phone. And he was using his phone to go through my Facebook. And I had an April Fool's post from years ago with my my friend Troy, who was a gay man that worked at Sade Music with me. And we we pretended like we went to Vegas and got married. And we clearly didn't get married. He's a gay man. I'm a straight woman. And um, Jim found this out in it, it. It got his retroactive jealousy enraged, which he said I've, he, he, he got on this long spiel about how he's got serious issues with retroactive jealousy. And we ended up leaving Branson because he was mad about Troy, my ex-husband that I was never married to. Um, and, but on our way home, we were going to see, we were going to go our separate ways. The date was going to be over. He decided um, on the way home, he started apologizing. That's when he started explaining his retroactive jealousy. And you know, this is a couple hour drive home. It's not like we're, we've got a 15 minute drive. So he starts telling me like why he has all these jealous feelings because Amber was a cheater. And, and, you know, he's got these reasons and he's got tears coming and it's breaking my heart. And he's like, I've got to stop drinking. I can't drink anymore. And I'm like, yeah, yeah you probably should stop drinking. And um, clearly it makes you angry. Um, Very often in these relationships, coercive control is used to cut people off from their existing family and friends. If I didn't do something that he wanted me to do, then he would whip me with a belt like I was a child. He would ground me from my phone. He would take my watch away so that I couldn't call anybody. And it would get to the point where he would just start really getting on me about, you know, every family member. Well, this is why she's bad or this is why he's bad. Um, the one time that really rings out in my head was sitting on the couch next to him and my mom, my stepmom called. Who we talked all the time. And he he literally got mad because I was talking to her and told me to get off the damn phone. I didn't need to be talking to her. So it was like things just kind of, I don't know, they just escalated. Another frequent coercive control tactic is to tamper with birth control or prevent a partner from purchasing or receiving birth control. Newly divorced, so I went on Depo Provera to make sure nothing happened. Well, I ended up with a bunch of irregular bleeding with that. And A, he didn't want me to continue to get the shot. He wanted me to get pregnant. And I said, absolutely not. I will not do that. So I would have to go to my doctor's appointments and get my shots behind his back, which ultimately got me beat up sometimes. And something not discussed widely is coercive control as it applies to the sexual relationship. For my wedding present, he had sex with me. Vaginal intercourse. Finally, a common mode of coercive control is looking through a partner's cell phone or through their email. Friday night, he stayed up all night working files for his clients. He wanted my phone so he could do two different phones. Well, kind of find out he wanted my phone to look through it. So when I wake up Friday, he's pissed at me because he found a text message that I sent to one of my friends in August about the guy I was actually seeing when I met him, stating that I had taken him home from the fair and then it took me so long to come back because 
I wanted to get a little deep. He ended up throwing the phone at me, threw his ring at me, shoved my face in the door and left. Come to find out he spent that night with um, Tisha, which is another ex from up in Hubbard. So the next group of behaviors that we're going to be talking about is sexual violence. I think if you are easily triggered or you've been through some stuff, it might be in your best interest to skip forward through the episode. But um, sexual violence is incredibly prevalent in abusive relationships and frequently underreported. After all, spousal rape was actually legal in Oklahoma until the late 1990s. That's fucked up. A faux show. It can frequently start with pushing obvious boundaries or not taking no for an answer. It was very much into, like, the, the Dom said culture. And, and sorry, the what side culture? The, the Dom. Uh, um, yeah. And... And you and Marcy, at any point when you're not, if you're not comfortable talking to me about anything, you just say like, well, I'm not going to talk about that. Um, so like that you have free reign to tell me you're not going to answer any of my questions. Okay. Um, but had you ever experienced anything like that before? Like with any of your other sexual partners? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Were you worried about it? Nervous about it? Excited about something new? Um. I don't really think I had an opinion, but I definitely did not expect it to be as violent as it was. He was over on his bed and I was over on my bed. And I was like, I'm going to pass out and go to sleep because tomorrow we get to go to Silver Dollar City and I'm excited. And um, he comes over to my bed and I'm like, no. And I had like all my clothes on too, like all my clothes on. And he's like, and I, I want to say I had pajama bottoms on. Um, so, I mean, in like ugly ones too. Like I was, I was be, I was like careful not to like make him think I was trying to look sexy. You know what I mean? Like I had like gross looking like um, polar bear pajamas on. And um, he ended up like kept putting his hands in my pajamas. And I was like, no. And finally I just stopped saying no. And I ended up. I ended up having sex with him, and I, and I don't remember it very much. Sometimes the sexual violence starts out being consensual. There was a lot of, at the time, I would have called it like S&M type sexual things going on between us that were very risky and probably not what most, you know, moms do sitting around the house think about, but Kind of like a Fifty Shades of Grey. Now, I've never seen the movie because I can't bring myself to watch it. So at the beginning, there was a lot of more risky sexual stuff going on. And I didn't have a problem with that. But then it escalates to controlling someone's body, shaming someone's body, or threatening physical punishment for certain things. He really... This is so embarrassing. Um... He made it a point to tell me, like, if there was an odor or if things weren't as fresh as could be. Um, he himself would douche me. Um, <sighs> use all kinds of different things. And then it got to the point where he'd tell me that I wasn't tight enough and I needed to use this certain thing. So he'd douche me with that. And... 
like stuff like that where you know at first he couldn't get enough and then suddenly he's like oh god that's gross it's nasty i can't do that i remember one time he pushed me away and he's like yuck you need to fix that but if i try to fix anything myself he would get mad wouldn't let me do any self-grooming that was his job he wanted to do it but he wouldn't do it we're gonna go through some very public Instagram information that um, we find unusual. And we're doing that not to kink shame because everybody has kinks. But in the larger context of what Jim has done to these women, it's just like, it's unabashed is what it is. It's also, it's like just very public. It's also indicative of someone who just like lacks scruples a little bit. Like it's, he's, he's posting about his business. He's bragging about his business. There are attorneys and law firms that are following him and liking his posts. And then he's very publicly following these like exotic leg accounts. Right. I mean, I think if like I was trying to convince the world that I was not womanizer and abuser, that I maybe would not publicly show everybody that I have leg fetishes and muscular woman fetishes and that I clearly objectify women on my social media. It's that whole thing about I lay in bed and do naked and do million dollar business deals. Like I do, like I'm on the phone with somebody, I make a settlement, they pay me a hundred grand and then I go look at muscly women legs. Yeah. I post that and then I go (laughs) scroll for legs. I don't know. I don't know if it's shaming, Leslie. It feels like we're shaming, but like deservedly. Yeah, I guess I think it also just highlights some of like, I would be hard pressed to find a professional woman out in the world who would just like have her, her kinks on full display on her, on an account where she's doing her business. Well, not only that, but, like, women have been fired from jobs and, like, been publicly shamed right. to quit it's jobs. Right, it's a double because standard. Of, because of sexual activity that became public. Right. It's fully a double standard. And it's, like, again, I think it just highlights how unabashed he is about the things that he engages in, and no one will tell him otherwise. He's He does what he wants. And everybody still is doing business with him. It doesn't like, stop anybody. It doesn't stop. Nobody looks at that and goes, hmm. Hmm. I mean, can you draw a line to, like, from leg fetish accounts to the horrific abuse he's done? No. But when you look at it in the larger context of, like, everything we know about him, and everything that we've seen and all the pictures of the abused women that we've seen. It just adds an extra layer of validity to what they're saying. Yeah. It's like he's not ashamed. He's doing very public, gross things. He's he's not trying to hide it. And there and there's like there's just like no there is no societal pressure on him to hide it. Like there is no one saying, look, man. Maybe don't follow the leg account while you're posting about our business. <laughs> you know? It's like... It just, like, a woman, a cis woman couldn't do that. Any woman couldn't do that. Nope. No. 
Can you imagine a, sp- a, world? a trans woman especially couldn't do that? Oh God, no! Imagine I all mean, of the sexual perversion that would be and, and, and insults that would be thrown at that individual's life. Yeah, I, and it's like it's not like there's any shortage of public information out there about this person's like behavior. But it took us like five minutes to find less than that to find that stuff. Right. But nobody was even looking. All right, so hit me with the names of his uh, fetish accounts. Okay, so these are just some of the fetish accounts that he followed. From his, like, it actually wasn't his business account, although he was, like, doing mostly business on it. It was Jim underscore Lumen. Oh, okay. So it, it was his personal account, but he was posting a lot of work stuff from it. He follows a lot of chiropractors and other lawyers on it. So he operates his business somewhat, at least yeah. affiliates his business with this account. Fully affiliates his business with the account. And also friends and, and boyfriends out there, uh, everyone can see who you follow on Instagram, even if your account's private. Just want you to know that. Little little tip-o from L- me. Little tip-o. <laughs> but here's some of the names of the accounts, okay? Female strong legs. <laughs> the nose legs appreciation society oh my god (laughs) i haven't heard these girls and legs (laughs) what Mm. female strong it's just like ready for this one i don't know calf cravings (laughs) oh my god the way you hit the sneeze (laughs) Oh, fuck. Wow! Colf. Colf. The colf cravings. (laughs) Okay, 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 there's more. God. Wait, okay, so also among these are several (laughs) female bodybuilders. Okay. So, okay, you're into lifting heavy things. That's cool, but most of them are naked. Oh. Naked lifting. The other nice one is my sexy stilettos. Oh, no. Yep. And we've got hot, strong legs. (laughs) Hot what? Yeah, girl strong legs and hot (laughs) strong legs. And calf cravings. Oh, my God. And we have sexy muscle woman. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. None of these on their own were enough. (laughs) (laughs) It had to be all of them. (laughs) I do just want to indicate that sexy muscle woman was followed two follows after Tommy Laren. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Yuck. Oh. <laughs> oh. He's not following Tommy for the, uh, or Tommy. Is, Is it Tommy? <laughs> I think it's Tommy Loren. He's not following Tommy for the politics. We- and then we have Blake Shelton, of course. Oh, Blake. With a couple follows below that, diamond cows. <laughs> Cow. Cows. <laughs> I hate that so Ew. much. I hate that. I, I have the ick. <laughs> Diamond cows. 
<laughs> Sorry, I need to be clear. It's oh diamond calves. <laughs> no, I can't say calves. I can't say calves appropriately anymore. Oh, it's so many. Yeah. <laughs> so many. He's posting about his business from this account. He's yeah. like, he's he's actually saying, need a lawyer? Call us yep. on this account. Yeah. But he's not a lawyer, by the way. No. He's not a lawyer. No, ma'am. Sexy muscle woman. <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm all for mixing business and pleasure, but like this is some <laughs> something a little bit weird. <laughs> like this is all just nonsense. It's all nonsense. Yeah, I mean, but also like mixed in here is like, okay, pain treatment center <laughs> and revolution <laughs> chiropractic and... uh Enlightened chiropractic from Oklahoma City. Like, I mean, like, we're clearly Cairo Concepts Tulsa. We're clearly mixing. Business and pleasure. Yes. Legs Appreciation Society right down from Watts Chiropractic Clinic. I mean, whatever. Send all the feet pics you want, folks. <laughs> do what you got to do in this economy. I don't know. <laughs> because, like, I guess it's like, do people... <laughs> A question, query, does it matter if you're going to do business with him what his sexual fetishes are? I mean, that's what people keep saying about the LGBTQ conversation is it's like, I don't care about your sexual preferences. I just want to do business with you. Shut up about it. Don't put it in my face. And then it's like, yeah, this guy. <laughs> right, right, right. There's it's like this. It is fully it is it is emblematic of this double standard in society where a cis man can put his sexual fetish out there on his public Instagram, post about his business, and there's no repercussion. There's no one going, there's no morality piece ringing the alarm and saying, we're not doing business with this guy. Like, it, like, and I'm not, I guess I'm not saying that it should yeah. on some level. Maybe on some level, I'm just saying, like, to be free. on some level, I'm just saying that, like, there's a double standard here and he's benefiting from it completely. Yeah, and one of the benefits of doing this on a podcast is we have the ability to put all of the things we can verify in this format and let people make a decision about what they believe or not. Right. And this would never be admissible in court, and it would never be something and it that... And sh it shouldn't be admissible. It really shouldn't be, because it's not indicative of whether or not he's an abuser. No, it's it's not. It, but it is indicative of a double standard where he's allowed to act in a way that, like, Every other person on the planet, every other gender identity on the planet cannot without suffering a consequence. Yeah. Name a name another gender identity or sexual orientation that could have their sexual kinks on an account where they're doing business. Other than a porn star. Other than a porn star. Yeah. No, there isn't. Sex workers. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that is it. Anybody trying to do, especially in the legal business? Yeah, like this is a professional business. It's like the professional business. There's like accountants, architects, lawyers, and doctors. <laughs> engineers might engineers. be sad about being left out. Sorry. Sorry, engineers. <laughs> Sorry, engineers. But yeah, no, I mean, it's not like, it's still pretty taboo in those fields. To be like to publicly have your kinks out there. I just, I don't know. I just honestly, Leslie, don't think he even thought about it. No. Don't think he realized people could see it, and I don't. Possibly, I just don't think he could even like thought twice about it. No, I think you're right. It's like I see that, I like that, I want that, I'm gonna look at that. I don't care about anything else. Right. Impulsive. Right. 
Of course, the most obvious and widely frowned upon and criminalized tactic of abuse is physical violence. There are many warning signs that someone might become physically violent. Jim, in particular, uses play violence, like small hits or slaps, at first to get his victims more comfortable with physical pain being part of their relationship. So he was living at the Sepulpa house and Donna's house at the time, and we, we end up downtown, Tulsa. We go to the Max and have really a fun time and uh, play video games and stuff like that. And we went to the center of the universe and um, we're checking it out. And I think he'd been there before. I've been there before, so no big deal. And uh, he was like, hold on. And he takes his iPhone, sets it over on the side of the things, does the record. And then he like does this, I can't remember really the words that were said about, you know, being married, now we're married or whatever, and then we kiss. And then right after we kiss, he slaps me in the face. Like, not like, not like, you know, I fall down slap, but a slap in the face, and like, he laughs. And that's all recorded by him. Often Jim will introduce a small act of violence into the relationship to test waters for what's to come. It all started out, it, before the bed part, before we even went to dinner, I had been alone in this hotel room with him for not very long at all. I walk by him. I got hit by his belt in the butt as I'm walking to the bathroom. I got to the bathroom and I just started crying. And because I've never been hit like that by you're my parents. I feel like I got spanked like twice my whole life and I probably earned it, you know, like, but never with a belt, <laughs> you know, I, I was never, I had never been hit with a belt and it, it just made me cry. And, um, and I remember coming out of the bathroom, trying to hide the fact that I was crying and he was like, oh my God, don't be a crazy bitch, please don't be a crazy bitch. And I was just like, oh, I'm not, I'm not a crazy bitch. I promise, you know, and I was just like, I promise I'm not a crazy bitch, you know, and I didn't want to be what he was saying I was, you know, um, and and that was the first thing. That was the first time he hurt me. And it was within minutes of actually being in Branson. He played it off as being playful. It was it did not feel playful because it hurt. Um, and, and, and he basically was making me feel crazy for crying when he was just playing with me yeah do you think he was like testing you I do I do think he was testing me I think he was trying to to see if what I would put up with honestly to just to, to see and um I actually I went to my car I went to my car and I sat in my car by myself and I I, I want to say I smoked some weed because I was like freaking like I need to figure out how to leave this guy here and leave. And I went and then he ended up coming to my car, begged me to come back inside where we actually went to dinner and drank. And then he pouted the whole dinner. Dinner was awful. Tell us more about that. What, what happened? Um, we were at dinner 
in which the, the dinner, we just walked to dinner because it was right by where our cheap ass little Outback Hotel was, <laughs> like that he got with his mom's credit card, by the way, or I'm sorry, his mom's debit card. So red flag number 12, we ended up eating and he, the whole time at dinner, he wouldn't speak. He was pouting, um, looking angry, um, looking down at the table. Anytime I would like say anything, he would just, just dismiss me. Like I was bothering him in some way. So I'm just over there getting shit faced so I can just enjoy myself, you know, and then my, my drunkenness is annoying him. And, um, I think looking back, I think he was arguing with Amber or maybe Kristen. Okay. Kristen, I later found out that him and Kristen were supposed to go out of town that weekend. Kristen and, and Jim were supposed to be on a, on a trip to Eureka Springs together that weekend. She rented a car and everything. He took me to Branson. Last week, you heard that there's a lot of driving in these relationships. Some of the most frightening acts of violence have happened in the victim's cars. What was it that caused me to slam on the brakes? Something had blocked her out, I guess. He did something and it caused me to slam on the brakes so hard and I like, took the side of the road. And um, he was so mad about that. He punched my windshield. And when I talked to one of the other victims, I was like by two different victims. I was told that like he punched them in the face while they were driving. And then whenever I look back, I'm like, he punched the windshield instead of my face, probably. I mean, like looking back, you know, it makes me think that's probably what his mindset was. Just guessing. It's already packed, and then when he punched it, it's fighter, like it's fighter packed. And then in another car, he, and when we were on free road, he busted a windshield, and that one wasn't cracked already. Yeah. And I honestly, I can't remember why he punched it. Can't remember. But like at the time, I was like, you know, I'd like to tell him to get out of the car, <laughs> but uh, I was a little scared to do that. So it just, and I can't even remember like the points after that. So uh, we're in his mom's car and I'm driving his mom's car and uh, he's got his gun. He says, let's stop. And uh, he takes this coffee cup. It's like metal or whatever. And he takes it out into the road and he shoots at it and misses a few times and then hits it and brings it back in and uh, shuts the door. And then if I remember right, that's like right when he grabs the gun and puts it under, like he's in the passenger seat, I'm in the driver's seat and he puts it under my chin. And he asks me, what do I live for? And I'm just like, not sure what to say, you know, like what's the right answer? And he says something like, you know, I just want you to know how it feels to be me. So much. So he wanted me to know what it was like, uh, all the pressures of being him. 
and then uh, obviously he didn't pull the trigger. And uh, we went, uh, drove back into town and went to his mother's. And actually, I think I got him to calm down by telling him like I would go get breakfast for him at the restaurant in town. And he was fine with that. So I dropped him off, went and got breakfast. And then I came back and he was in an argument with his mother and throwing stuff in the house and uh, even like threw a vacuum and then it turned on and it was like, I was sitting there and I was like, why am I here right now? And I, the door was right beside me. So I left. Especially with the prevalence of firearms in Oklahoma, many threats of violence and abusive relationships involve guns. When I found, when he went to sleep early and uh, his phone was getting those previews at the top from some other girl. And I was like, what? And I got curious, took his phone to the bathroom and just read everything. And then I knew he was playing so many women at once. And um, it was, I was pretty shocked. He woke up to see me with his phone. He was like, uh, really? And uh, absolutely just upset and um, told me to sit over here, you know, and then he um, pushed me up against the wall and had me by the throat, spit my face. And I said, I can't believe you just spit my face. Like, you know, I was freaking out. And we were probably like, the wall next to us was the front desk. So I think that saved me. Um, he's, uh, he said, we're leaving. You're packing your shit and we're leaving right now. And just be quiet when we walk through here or whatever, you know, I was like, okay. So we get in the car and he, he brought a gun down there with us. He typically had one or whatever, but it's not like he ever got it out, you know, or anything. But that time he, uh, got it out I feel like to intimidate me to just drive and um had it unzipped and set it between the two of us uh in the car and I'm pretty sure he took my phone and you know I wasn't to contact anybody or whatever I was just supposed to just drop them off and I did and I don't know what happened after that obviously I saw him again oftentimes alcohol is involved I know that the last the last weekend the, the the final time I ever saw him, he we stopped and got at this liquor store and got this banana schnapps and he called it his panty remover drink. And basically he chugged it and got violent. Like it was just instant. Like, he, and he does that. I mean, that was kind of like, he he would basically pick something that I was doing wrong and then he would go off on that. That's what would start Every fight was just something that he would pick out about me that I was doing wrong. When you begin to change your behavior to hide things like bruises or changes to your body, that's a big red flag. Um, the kids now looking back, they were, one was a junior and one had just graduated high school when I met him. Um, the kids will comment now about... They used to call us the house of nakedness. We were all girls. So my poor ex-husband, we ran around all the time in our underwear because we were just a bunch of girls running around. Um, and they would comment on how they noticed I wouldn't do that anymore. I wouldn't get in the shower after one of them was getting out. 
And the reason was that I was covered in bruises from the back of my neck down. Often the stress of big events like weddings or vacations can see someone act out physically. I'll, I'll note that the night before the wedding, he and I were driving around in Oklahoma down in, oh, I can't remember the road, Boston Pool Road. So we're driving around, around, around. He gets this random text message that says, I love you. Person sending the text message is Nikki. So this is where Nikki starts plumbing into all of this. So I take issue with that because at this point I've not gotten my ass kicked. And I say to him, listen, if I'm going to marry you, I don't want some other woman texting that they love you. And you not saying, listen, I'm getting married. Um, it caused quite an argument. Uh, he ended up, I said, you know what? Just take me back to your mom's house. Let me pack. Take me to the airport. I'll just go home. Because my daughter had driven me down to Cleveland and dropped me off from Iowa. She drove me all the way down, turned around, drove all the way back. So I'm down there, no car, no nothing. So he takes me back to his mom's and continues to drive around and drink, drink, drink. He, at some point, I'm sure I sprouted off on the phone, on via text. I said, just come back and take me to the airport. And he came in and I happened to be in the bathroom at his mom's house. He came in and fish hooked me. And then just got my face and started screaming at me. And he's like, get your shit. Let's fucking go. So he loads everything up, puts it in the car. And starts driving, but I don't know where we are. I have no clue. And he starts showing me fields and little timbered areas that he could just put me in my suitcase and leave me there and nobody would find me. One, two, three, four. Mm -hmm. Found my way in. I'm over here reversing back out of here. Rolling backward, avoiding hazard. I'm checking if the coast is clear. Before he make a big mistake, I'm thinking I won't crash and burn. I've seen the signs of the time, only a fool would return. I'm about to get off, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get away out of here. Find my way home. I'm about to get off, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get away out of here. Before the street lights come on. I'm about to get This has been a tour of the red flags in Jim's relationships, which we find are actually pretty common in a lot of abusive relationships like these. Our hope in sharing these stories this way is to both tell the story of Jim's reign of terror on so many women, but also to educate anyone who might find themselves in a relationship like this. Many survivors we hear from tell us that they did not know they were in an abusive relationship because pain and dysfunction was all they knew in their life. We hope these stories will help you put words to your experiences and also let you know that you are not alone. In the next episode, you will hear the culmination of these red flags for the women who have survived Jim Lumen. We will allow the survivors of his abuses to tell their stories in their words like they have never been able to before. This is the true crime story that happens before the true crime story. Most stories we hear are after someone's been killed and we wonder what we could have done. How could we have prevented it? How could we have kept her alive? We're telling you these stories now so you can keep her alive. Keep telling the stories 
keep telling the truth, and keep speaking out against violence. You can find links to pictures, documents, and all our sources in the show notes of this episode. These cases serve as a reminder of the devastating consequences of domestic violence and the importance of seeking help if you or someone you know is a victim. If you are in immediate danger, please call 911 or your local emergency number. For confidential support and resources, you can reach out to the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. Thank you for listening to Panic Button, Operation Wildfire, and for joining us in shedding light on the importance of ending domestic violence for good. Put your hands together if you leave in. Put your hands together if you go. <laughs> Panic Button is a production of Oklahoma Appleseed Center for Law and Justice. We're recorded at Bison and Bean Studios in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Our theme music is by Guillaume. Additional editing is provided by The Wave Podcasting. Our music supervisor is Rusty Rowe. Special thanks to our interns, Kat and Allison. To learn more about Oklahoma Appleseed or donate to keep our mission of fighting for the rights and opportunities of every Oklahoman a reality, go to okappleseed.org.